This podcast is sponsored by CDO Group, the industry leader providing a full range of construction and project management services. CDO Group has managed thousands of projects in all 50 states. Their group of experts provide systems, processes, and procedures to make sure that your projects turn over on time and on budget every single time. With over 24 years of experience, CDO Group is the industry's leader in construction management and general contracting services. To find them, go to cdogroup.com. Hi, and welcome to the Future of Development podcast. My name's Anthony Montategi, and I'm here to inspire people to find amazing careers in the construction development world. like our podcast, please make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really like our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Welcome to the Future Development Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Montategi, and today I am talking to the legendary, the one and only Andy Rubin. Andy is a widely successful global marketing executive and the current vice president of digital officer at El Pollo Loco. El Pollo Loco, did I say that? One of the nation's leading restaurant brands. Andy's marketing expertise has delivered first-to-market products for global companies such as McDonald's, Ford Motor Company. He is a franchisee expert. He has experience and knowledge with putting together franchise groups, achieving unprecedented growth, sales, and profitability. At El Pollo Loco, Andy's responsible for CRM, e-commerce, the company's off-premise delivery, and loyalty programs, just to name a couple of things that he does over there, just to name a few, right? He's earned a bachelor's degree at the University of Wisconsin. Also, he comes from the Kellogg School of Business Management. Andy currently lives in California, and he does everything magically California, things like hanging out on the beach, having lots of fun, looking good too. Andy, welcome to the show. Excited to have you. Andy, well, welcome to the show. As always, it's exciting to have you on here and really get to uh, know you a little bit better and, and the stuff that you're doing. Uh, let's, let's take a second and go backwards. You know, you've got an amazing career and, uh, you know, the different brands you've been with, they're all really exciting. Let's just tell the audience a little bit more about that and uh, kind of get them into uh, where you've come from. Absolutely. So thanks so much for having me. Uh, really uh, appreciate you considering me for the opportunity here. Uh, I started uh, my career with Ford Motor Company in 2008. Uh, I you, you literally graduated from University of Wisconsin-Madison, and about a week later, I was uh, working for the Blue Oval. Uh, I was with Ford for five years in a variety of uh, marketing and sales roles and consumer marketing and tech product marketing. I tried to figure out what Anthony wanted on his vehicle within the next seven to 10 years. So very futuristic, forward-looking type of role. Um, had an opportunity to then transition from uh, Mustangs to McNuggets. Started my career with McDonald's uh, in the Northeast. I was in Boston for about two years, had an opportunity to be employee number four on McDonald's US digital team, where essentially I launched a lot of the technologies you see in the restaurant today, mobile order pay, kiosk, make delivery, et cetera. And then my uh, final position with McDonald's, I was the marketing officer for the Southeast and had the opportunity to work with franchisees in Florida, Georgia, Alabama, North Carolina, South Carolina, and really kind of redefine the consumer and marketing experience. Uh, I had uh, the honor and privilege of going to Kellogg School of Management uh, for about two years from 2018 to 2019. And now most recently, uh, current role, I work and live in LA. Um, I'm the Vice President Digital Officer for El Pollo Loco, where I'm in charge of leading the digital transformation for the organization. I manage our customer loyalty program, off-premise delivery, uh, social media, anything digital media, e-commerce, you name it. And uh, it's kind of been a fun ride, seven cities in 11 years, and, uh, you know, just keep trucking. You know, I, I remember I had hit uh, I had hit 11 different moves for the companies I'd worked for before I started CDO Group. And um, 
you know, that, that that's, I, I feel like that was what really created who I am, right? I, everything I learned was from, you know, great companies. I always got these great promotions and, you know, just being interactive with big brands uh, gave me some, you know, I, I got to learn on their dollar, you know, uh, for sure. Yeah, I remember the first time I dealt with McDonald's, uh, we, I was working for a company called Discovery Zone and we had bought leaps and bounds from them. And, uh, you know, this, that, that was Discovery Zone's big, big competitor was leaps and bounds. And then we got into that and, now that working with McDonald's was a great experience. I, I just the way their teams work, the interaction, and a lot of who we are today, who CDO Group is, some from the interaction I had with some of the great people over at McDonald's uh, when we started. So you know, a lot of that, uh, you know, going through those experiences gives us, you know, some some. Uh, uh, you know, that's the flavor or the training that we get to to be the guys we are today. Absolutely. I think that the uh, foundational elements of career building were definitely at Ford and McDonald's. I think. There's a number of talented people in both those organizations, and uh, you know you really build your skill set there. You have the ability, like you said, uh, to learn. Uh, you really get the ability to kind of test and be able to be a part of the future. And when you work at companies like Ford and McDonald's, you really can redefine kind of the, the future of the experience for the industry. You know, when you have that type of opportunity, it, you can really learn very quickly. Yeah, for sure. Learning on their dollar. You know, and the thing is, I don't think that at the time. I realized where that was going to go, right? I, I took on this job as a junior coordinator uh, for, for the for Discovery Zone and had no idea that one day, I, you know, I was, uh, was going to be an accountant. I thought, well, I'll take this job for a little bit, kind of fun to go work for a company that makes playgrounds for kids, but I'm going to be an accountant one day. All of a sudden, 30 years later, I look back and I'm like, I've been doing construction for 30 years and uh, never imagined the day I took that job that I would end up here. And it's kind of funny how life unfolds, right? You, you kind of, you get into something and at Ford, you go from, from, uh, uh, from Mustangs to McNuggets, that transition, right? I, I love that line from Mustangs to McNuggets. That's a, that's a funny, you, you, you don't realize that, uh, you know, there's some service to the job that you have today, taking out Pollo Loco into that digital transformation. For sure. Absolutely. Completely yeah. agree. So as, as you look at the, as you look at uh, Pollo Loco now, right, you've got uh, the strategy you're looking at and you're going, all right, I got to start to transform them into where the, the future is going. And, and certainly that is happening faster than ever before. You know, the, the, the digital platforms, uh, the consumer is changing, uh, the, the pandemic really changed and it maybe even accelerated a lot of that opportunity. Uh, how do you start to build the framework? Cause you know, as fast as you're building it, it's changing. It's funny. Uh, you know, I think one of the biggest things is you, you kind of come into a new organization, you get a little bit of a better understanding of what the key priorities are for the company. And then you kind of take what you've learned. And, you know, I took what I learned from Ford and McDonald's and really try to build uh, just some best practices for our organization. I think, you know, one of the fascinating things, you know, you come in the first 90 days and one of the biggest pieces of, of the puzzle, which was our customer loyalty program, you know, there were a lot of concerns from our entire senior leadership team with that program. And that was kind of like the backbone and uh, kind of the center core of our digital flywheel. And the loyalty program was underperforming. Um, you know, there wasn't a profitability in the program. We didn't have segmentation. You know, a lot of, I think, the key foundational elements of what you need for a, you know, best in class loyalty program were just not present. And, you know, you really try to go into an organization and try to build and get some little little bets going where you try to win quickly, or if you fail, you lose fast, um, but you don't, you know, lose a lot uh, in terms of the financial investment. And I think for, for us as an organization, you know, it took a lot of partnership with operations, IT, finance, 
to really uh, kind of accelerate where we were looking to go for the organization. And I think the loyalty program is one example. You know, we launched curbside pickup. We uh, expanded our partnership with off-premise delivery providers. We launched an e-gift card program. We did drone delivery. So, I mean, there's been a number of initiatives, I think, over the course of the last two years that have kind of put El Pollo Loco in a really strong foundational place to compete with a lot of the other players in the QSR industry and, you know, kind of do some things that are unique and true to us. And it's it's always great to um, be able to do things quickly. And I think that's one of the benefits of sometimes working at a smaller organization is, you know, I go to my boss, the CEO or the CFO, and, you know, you kind of lay out the vision and very quickly, you know, you can get an, an answer. It's not, it's not mired in six, 12, you know, 24 months of uh, bureaucracy. And it's super cool that, uh, you know, they believe in the vision that, um, you know, I've been able to collectively work with my peers on uh, in other departments at the organization. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's big, right? As you start to really hone in on each department's, you know, because uh, that's ultimately what's going to make the success. You've got to get total buy-in from the group, right? I, I have many issues have you gone off on where it's a great idea in your head, but if they if they don't buy into it, uh, it's hard to really make it successful. And, uh, you know, especially with customer loyalty, right? There, there's so many different things that you can, so many levers that you can pull on that. Uh, where, where do you start with that? Where, where did you start? What was your kind of fundamental, fundamental uh, belief in, in the system? I think the biggest thing is understanding who your customers are and what they like and dislike with your program. And one of the things that I share is, you know, call it a little bit non-traditional, but one of the first things I did within my first 30 days at the company was I called up our, our 50 best loyalty customers on the phone. And I said, hey, um, what's working? Uh, what do you really like about the program? Where do we need to do better? Uh, what other loyalty programs do you spend a lot of time with? What are you liking that they're doing or they're executing against? And I think sometimes, you know, when you look at the approach with how you approach a loyalty program, it's very formulaic in nature. Everybody's like, oh, just send out a survey, look at the data. But sometimes spending that, those quality moments with some of your best customers and even some of the customers who you want to visit more, they're kind of, there's a lot of potential with them based off of their visit history. I think sometimes they really appreciate when you make that gesture to call them on the phone and just really show the, the tender loving care that I think sometimes organizations of, of larger size just don't really think about doing. And it, it really made a really big impact for us. And then I think the second phase was you know, really trying to understand the data. So looking at email open rates, looking at uh, average check and spend lift, looking to see what types of frequency metrics customers had. Uh, were there different offers that we had uh, in place that kind of destabilized the restaurant operations a little bit? And it, it really allowed us to kind of take a step back and go back to the drawing board and really try to figure out how we kind of come together with a, a best-in-class loyalty program. And the uh, organization was really humbled uh, in February, March time period. We were named as one of Newsweek's top 10 uh, loyalty programs in America, which is super cool. And we're yeah, super yeah, right. humbled by that. Right, right. And, uh, you know, it just really shows how far we've come and how far we've taken the program. Hey, you know, I was just uh, with a group of estimators in our, in, our co- in our company and I'm looking at them going, all right, guys, the... Um, we were having some issues with some bids and some places we were losing it. And, you know, we've got this whole technology piece that we use for setting out bids and setting it out. And exactly what you were just talking about, getting on the phone and talking to the bidders and going, all right, what did you see when you, when we got that, when we sent this to you, what did you see? Right. Not, not what we think we're seeing, but really getting on the phone and actually talking that, that, that part about us that, that ultimately uh, helps us, way how how we're thinking about things because there's one thing that we do is think about it over here 
Right. Mm-hmm. But then when you, when you get them on the phone and talk to them and go, all right, how is that actually presenting itself on your side? And we start to realize, yeah, we're kind of cold by the way we do this. They don't really remember working with us, you know, the, the team that we work with. Uh, maybe, and right now they're getting faced with all these other bid, bid platforms that people are coming after them for. The good bidders and, and the good clients that are out there are getting attacked by this stuff. So how is my interaction getting and landing, actually landing in that perception? I, I think that's an interesting part where you, the head of the department, get on the phone and start calling the individuals. I think that's a that's a really neat piece right there. You know, get down and dirty and, and, uh, and ultimately at the end, help you look at the matrix that you have and give you a little bit more of a piece of, of, of going, all right, I'm actually looking at it right or I'm not looking at it right. Let's, let's make a little adjustment the way we think about this. Yeah. And I think the other big thing too um, is looking at El Pollo Loco on its best day and looking at El Pollo Loco on its worst day. Because the other thing you want to try to get underneath too is, you know, you look at the customer complaints whether it be uh, an, an issue that they had with the app, an issue that they had with the restaurant team, an issue that they had with just their overall order. And putting yourself in the customer's shoes is really key to a customer-centric organization and really trying to differentiate yourself from your competitors, trying to really understand where the pain points are in the operation and really try to uh, take action on that and take action quickly. Yeah. No, no, getting down where they're at is a, uh, it, it, that's, that's a great piece. You know, uh, I, I love that. So, you know, you and I talked about, uh, as you start to work on these customer digital interactions, uh, really creating a, a frictionless uh, experience, right? I mean, we're, we're seeing, you know, we're seeing the kiosk, we're seeing the uh, online ordering, we're seeing uh, order from your phone. Uh, you can really start to predict that the future will be so much more, uh, you know, intuitive, uh, you know, so talk a little bit about that. How are you seeing the frictionless technology transaction uh, come into play? Look, we want to make it easier for our consumers, period. And I think one of the biggest pain points uh, that consumers have is when they have to order differently based off of the channel that they're ordering from. And I think one of the things that we've started to make progress on, I don't think we're entirely there yet, is really building what that journey looks like, whether it be ordering from our website, ordering from our app ordering from a third-party delivery company, but doing so in a way where a consumer can come back and say, wow, that really made a difference. That saved me two or three minutes, or you know, that was really easy to do. I can check out with one click. I think some of the best companies in the world, when you think about frictionless convenience, and I'm just going to probably go to the two that uh, you know, many would probably think of right away, but like Amazon and Netflix. Uh, you know, Amazon has the feature where if you see something you like, you can just order it with one click, right? Think about how many steps consumers go through to try to check out a product. I mean, they're looking at the price, they're looking at the tax, but if you know you want it and you just want to push the button and check out quickly, like a three to five second experience, that's what they solve for. And I think same thing with Netflix. Like They have now come up with algorithms based off of your viewing history to try to recommend shows that you know they think you'd like based off of what you've done in the past. And I think you know, that's genius because it keeps people kind of attached to the product. It kind of convinces them to come back for more. And, you know, that's kind of how we have to be. I mean, we're, we're a mid-sized restaurant brand, mid-sized restaurant chain. Uh, we want to try to figure out how we can continue to innovate at the level that some of the big players are innovating at. And I think one of the things you'll see is if we're not leading the space, we're going to be a fast follower. That's the commitment we have to our customers. And that's the commitment I made to my CEO and the board. I, I think that's that's a phenomenal. You know, do you remember the first time you ordered on Amazon? 
Like it's, it's the first time I questioned everything. Look at the delivery. Oh my God, the thing and the tax and the, and today, if we, if I don't swipe order now a few times a day, I, I try to bunch them up so I can, I can, you know, kind of do one basket a day if I can, but that doesn't happen. I, it's so easy for me to just, I need something. I, well, one, I order before I forget. And then I, you know, like I, I got one, I've got these batteries on a door over here that if I don't change a battery, you can't get in the house, right? All of a sudden yeah. I'm going to climb, climb in a window. So as soon as I, you know, as soon as I, oh, I hear beeping, boom, order this, a special battery. Then it takes a couple seconds, reorder it. Um, but I find myself doing that all day long, right? You know, and as the same thing happens with the, the restaurant world, right? Mm-hmm. As we start to look at it and go, all right, how do I make this interaction that much easier? Uh, you know, you're, you're you know, you can really start to see, you know, how, how lunch can happen easier, how I can uh, make, make that whole delivery happen, you know, in between calls. And, yeah. you know, where before it was real hard to hunt, find, get, uh, you know, how do you make it so it's just that order now, right? But I think one of the other things that I'm just going to take away from your example with the batteries is with Amazon, there's now the subscribe and save, right? And so like Anthony knows every single, you know, call it six to eight months, he's going to need to change his batteries. So like, Let's take that pain point off of what's going on in his brain. Let's push add to cart or create a subscription. And then it's just automatically shipping to you. And again, that whole notion of giving people uh, subscription savings. So if you have less than six items, I think it's 5%. If it's six or more, it's 15% off you get by regularly having that, that subscription. And again, it's just, it's ease of mind. It's ease of knowing that it's going to come on a regular basis. And I think you know, the best companies like Amazon just try to figure out how can they continue to grow sales and eliminate customer pain points. And I think the two examples we talked about are just two really good examples of kind of how Amazon leads the charge in, in the e-commerce space. I, lo- I love that subscribing save. Yeah, I, I, it, just, it, it makes my life toilet paper, paper towels. You know, the one who always got me was, oh, we got a cleaning lady come. We have no cleaning supplies. <sighs> Right. And, and, you know, it's yep. in the middle of the morning, I'm, I'm going to work or something else. And oh, she's coming in and getting, all right, all right, all right. Um, now it's, it's, it's all set up. I love that convenience of it. Now, every once in a while we get uh, a little backed up, but I got to remember to ch- turn it off for a second. Cause you know, in the middle of the pandemic, we had a backup of the paper towels and stuff. And all of a sudden we got them all at one time and there was, I don't know, we had a closet full of them, and, but it was fun. So the, the um, all of that transactions happening, it made it, you're right. It made it so much easier for me to interact with it. I don't have to go to the stores often and I get what I need. And, and that, you can see that how that's changing over there. How about, um, are you seeing stuff that's happening with, uh, you know, how, how is mobile apping and the interaction with the actual restaurant when you're ordering in, st- in store? How's that changing? Yeah, I think, look, I think initially um, we had a look, kind of like what I would call a little bit of a lower penetration rate with mobile and digital orders. I think the pandemic accelerated a lot of that progress a lot quicker than I think, um, you know, we had on our roadmap, but, you know, it was kind of a blessing in disguise because I think what that did was by building in repetition and processes to our restaurant staff, I think they became more tech savvy, better digital uh, executors as a result of just having that frequency on a regular basis. And when you think about the digital channels that we have available today, you know, there's obviously the mobile, mobile order ahead, mobile order pay that we have through our app. We have the curbside where a customer can pull up onto our lot within 90 to 120 seconds. They will bring the food to the vehicle. Um, and then you can obviously order and, and pick it up in the drive through as well. And then you also have the ordering delivery from marketplaces. So there's a lot of digital channels that are coming into the restaurant today. And I think 
you know, our restaurant teams have done a great job of adapting because I think traditionally we we're kind of seen more as a dine-in restaurant chain. Uh, we had a all-you-can-eat salsa bar that we had available at all our restaurants, uh, temporarily, obviously unavailable. But I think that, you know, you want to continue to provide that experience that you provide in restaurant digitally. And, you know, that's that's a big thing for us is obviously just making sure that, you know, we can continue to deliver the hot fire grilled chicken that people come to love. The salsas are in there, uh, you know, as many of, as they've requested on their digital and mobile order. We have accuracy. And then one of the other big things that we've changed just in terms of that mobile order and delivery experience is we, we put it in a tamper-proof sealed delivery bag. And, you know, that was another um, thing that we identified very early on in our digital transformation journey that we wanted to try to figure out a way that we could differentiate ourselves from our competitors. Um, you know, food delivery, one of those things people are you know, concerned about is reaching into the bag, tampering with the food. And that's one of the things that we just gained from customer insights, customer feedback, and you know, huge credit to our supply chain team for really being able to execute on that quickly. And I, I think we have a best-in-class product, which I I'm, couldn't be more happy with. No, for sure. I always wondered how the delivery guys don't go in there and steal. I mean, especially when you, you I can't imagine being in a car with that fire grilled chicken and, uh, you, you know, your product, it does have a great smell to it. You know, uh, uh, we had uh, some barbecue delivered last night and they had a great bag. It was really, it, it sold the, uh, the, it had some real brand identity. It really, uh, you know, spoke to their product and it had a great tamper-proof bag, which, as soon as you open that thing up, you can just, you know, smell the beautiful barbecue that was in there. I think that's a great piece, right? You know, starting to get smarter and smarter and use that as a marketing piece at the same time and have it be just an extension of what the in-store communication tools. And, you know, I think as we continue to see this evolution, right, those are the op- you know, places where what was a hassle becomes an opportunity, right? For I, sure. I think we, we look at that all day long and look at places where, you know, in a process, this seems really, really rough or, or, or even where we made a mistake. Now we go find a solution that really creates a great opportunity for the, for my interaction with the, with the customer that uh, I didn't have before. You know, all of a sudden you start seeing your delivery bags in places. You're like, wow, someone's got our delivery bag and they're using it for something else. Or, you know, those spots where uh, it, it becomes uh, just another, another part of your brand identity at their home. Completely agree. Completely agree. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fun. You know, the um, the line I always love to use is whenever they created Uber, you know, whenever the cars came out, you couldn't have imagined Uber, right? You just couldn't imagine right. that 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 uh, Uber thing. And I think that's what's happening today. As we continue to see all of these evolutions of technology, the, the changes and of the curbside, the, the 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 ordering ahead of time, we're starting to notice, you know, a, a different space. Uh, different opportunities for us to change. And, uh, you know, how, how do you, you know, with, with all the opportunities that are out there, how do you continuously, you know, keep looking ahead and, and, and stay in that space of, you know, you yourself, right? I mean, you've gone through a lot, right? Mm-hmm. How do you continuously keep poking yourself to go, all right, I'm not, not settling on where you're at as good and continue to cha- challenge yourself? Yeah. I think, you know, being cognizant of the brands that are traditionally leading the space in terms of technology progress is, is very key. Uh, you know, three that just come to top of mind right away are Chipotle, Sweetgreen, and Starbucks. I think the experiences that they've built uh, digitally uh, speak for themselves. Um, it's really, again, it gets back to that frictionless convenience, keeping customers engaged, you know, encouraging them to come back and building a process that really excites them and makes it easy for them. 
you know, I regularly audit uh, some of the best performers in the QSR space. So I try to get a sense of directionally where they're placing their strategic investments. Um, because I think for me, um, you know, they get it right most of the time. I don't think they always get it right, but I think for the majority of cases, they do get it right. And I think that, you know, you can also take what they've done, iterate, or just get another idea based off of what you're seeing them doing. And so, you know, I keep some of those, those top players in the QSR industry that have a reputation for doing great things digitally as kind of the forefront of how I, I view the space. And then, you know, quite honestly, all of us in the QSR community, especially those in digital, uh, speak relatively uh, often. And uh, despite being competitors, I think we share kind of that same common desire to try to transcend, transform uh, what we're doing in each of our individual organizations. So I think there's obviously this, this fun competitive side, but also we, we love to learn from one another. You know, that was something that uh, completely changed. You know, it used to be the interaction I had at Chipotle was you, you pull up, you've got this interaction with the employee there and, you, you know, he's a shell bowl. And as you went down that line, you had an experience there that really spoke to fresh. You could see him cutting stuff in the back. It really, but today with third-party delivery, my kids want Chipotle. I can hit it on the app, pass it around the house. Uh, food can be delivered while we're handling homework or whatever else is going on in the house. And, uh, you know, I get a great delivery product. Uh, and you're right. It, it's it's phenomenal how that whole transaction has changed. And actually, rarely do I ever go back into a, rarely do I ever have I been back in a store now. Now it's so easy. It actually made it uh, almost so convenient. You can see now there's brands out there that are working on uh, uh, delivery locations only, right? Spending, uh, you know, we were talking about a brand that was on the East Coast that uh, that does these uh, five and $800,000 pizza restaurants. And they're mm-hmm. spending, you know, real key money on a couple of key locations, but then augmenting them with things like food trucks using mm-hmm. uh, 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 third level uh, real estate places like in the back of a mall that just ser- servicing for, you know, that big parking lots, uh, easy access, third party delivery type spaces that are dramatic. You know, instead of spending, you know, the $500,000 a copy for a, a key location, this is just a service location and, uh, you know, still getting that delivery uh, set up, you know, available. Yeah, I think brands are getting smarter and smarter with kind of accessing different types of retail spaces that could be made available either via a ghost kitchen or virtual restaurant. And I, I, I like also what you said about you and your family at Chipotle. I think one of the things like if I was an outsider looking in, which I am about the Chipotle example is, you know, you think about their peak ordering periods uh, where you traditionally during lunch spend, you know, call it 10 to 20 minutes waiting in line, but people waited in line because they they knew what they were getting. They knew it was a quality product. But then, you know, this whole digital demand thing set off a big change in the way that they did things. They had a second order line that they now have in all of their restaurants that essentially uh, had the ability to keep up with the capacity of the demand that they were receiving. And then I think the other big thing too, is they created an experience that was very similar to the type of experience you'd go through in their restaurant. So when you pull up the app, you kind of go through all the different stations that you'd go through at Chipotle. So it's great. And, you know, I had a, I had a funny Chipotle uh, experience very early on in my life. I was a, I was a master burrito ambassador. I had my MBA from Chipotle in college. Um, I worked for them for three years. And it's just funny how, how it's funny how things have changed because, at that time, we were talking about fax and order forms uh, for restaurant for like uh, catering for lunch. So it's just amazing to see just how that um, how that uh, chain has evolved over time. 
Uh, great. It's, it's amazing. I, I, we've worked for them for years and uh, it is one of my favorite clients to work for just their evolution, their success, the, the way they execute on their product, all the things they've gone through and really taught uh, themselves and, and the restaurant industry new and smarter ways of, of handling food and uh, their customer and the, and just the way they do stuff. It's, it's, um, it's fun to watch their evolution as it here. It's fun to watch all the brands we go through uh, and work with watching those evolutions uh, as I look back and go, wow, where, where we're going excites me. The continuous change in the world. I am uh, uh, continuously excited by uh, uh, the new opportunities that are out there. Uh, you know, if, if we wanted to get to a point where uh, uh, something you, your biggest forecast of the future, if you wanted to put something out there, where do you, where do you see it going? Well, I think that you're definitely going to see the restaurant space use artificial intelligence technology, machine learning a lot more. I think that there have been a few brands that have used it early and used it well. You know, obviously, Starbucks was kind of the pioneer. You saw McDonald's jump into the game as well. And I think a lot of the, um, you know, smaller, larger brands and mid-sized brands are going to start using AI technology to kind of really redefine that customer journey and customer experience. How can they, without any like friction in the customer process, get people to spend more money that seem very natural in the order flow? How can we do a better job of predicting customer lifetime value, either via um, you know, app interaction or credit card transactions? I think you're just going to see smarter marketers moving forward. I think there's also a possibility of you know, really AI taking over how we would predict uh, different menu items coming out and what that could look like based off of past data, past order history, et cetera. And so I think AI is going to be the biggest thing. I think, you know, it's a term that's thrown around a lot in the industry, whether it be restaurant or retail. And I think it's a term that people try to use. Some people are scared of it. Some people use it and they don't really know what it means. But I think the best companies will um, succeed if they figure out how to use AI the right way. And create a, a tech stack or, and or data lake that really helps support that, uh, that vision and journey. I think that data lake is really the, the spark that, uh, that spark that uh, is changing it for sure. AI is this curve that will make us way smarter than we ever have been before about the way we think about customers, the way that their customers interact with our restaurants, the way our employees show up, the way that our delivery people happen, the way that we order, uh, you know, we're really starting to see, you know, different, uh, segments of that growing throughout the industry. You know, you're, you're, you're seeing different groups work on uh, different parts of that little siloed. And as they get smarter and smarter and join together, uh, that'll be a real robust system. It's exciting to see. Well, I got to tell you, I am excited about having you on here. Look forward to having you on, on, on some more. I'm honored. I really am honored. Your wisdom and experience is great. Uh, you have some depth and weight to what, what you're saying. And I'm grateful, Andy, for, for you joining me today. And I uh, look forward to having you on the show again. Really appreciate it. Thanks again for having me. Thanks for joining us. My name is Anthony Montegi. Always looking for people to bring insight into the industry. Finding ways to inspire people to have amazing careers in the development world. If you liked our podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really liked our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Thanks again for listening. Please share it with your friends.